Hello, everyone, and welcome to The Heart of Sports with Jason Springer and Jeff Cohen. We are thrilled to join you on 610 ESPN, ready to help you move into the weekend, talking about all the news in the world of sports. Jeff, uh, I'm not even going to start with the songs that are stuck in your head. We'll get to that later. I know you dislike the Nationals now greatly. <laughs> we'll get there. Uh, but I did want to start off the week. Did, first of all, did you watch Thursday Night Football last night? No. Nobody did. No. <laughs> nobody. If a game happens and nobody watches it, did it really occur? <laughs> I, I would rather actually watch a tree fall in the forest than that, I would watch that game. That, thankfully, the, the people on my fantasy team. So, so, so let me get the, So that game, the big storylines were Kirk Cousins, who nobody likes, is, is playing against his old team. And Adrian Peterson, who I wouldn't exactly call a great citizen, goes home to his old team. You mean that didn't excite you to go? No, that, those, weren't, those aren't the, the, the storylines that you really want to. All right. Well, I'll, I'll move you back to basketball then because I know that excites you a little bit more. Uh, you were down there on Wednesday night for the home opener. Mm-hmm. I believe our guest, Mike O'Connor from The Athletic, you were down there as well. Uh, Mike, thanks so much for joining us. Tell me what you saw on night one of your Philadelphia 76ers this season. Not yours, ours. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, thanks for having me on, guys. Uh, in terms of in terms of takeaways from that game, you know, I, I thought it was exactly exactly the brand, exactly the style of basketball that we expected the Sixers to play. I mean, it, it's the type of team that's just going to be in a defensive rock fight every single night. And you know, I, I thought the the offensive start was ugly, and that was sort of to be expected. And they're just they're going to be a team that they're going to hold teams, you know, really really low scoring numbers. And it's going to feel a lot of games like they're struggling to kind of pull away. They're, they're never going to be that team that's, that's you know, going on a 22-3 to three run and, and just distancing themselves in, in the third quarter or something like that. It's going to be, you know, pull and tug and, and keeping teams scoring 90, 95 points, and they're just going to grind out a lot of wins like that. I say we start with the bad, and then we'll make our way to the good. Of course, you're, you're, you're a Philly we'll, fan. Why don't you better. start with the yeah. positive? Well, as as I'm watching that game, I'm sitting there. I think at one point they were like one for 17 from three-point land. To me, that's the biggest concern, With adding to what you were saying, Mike, is is that they can't pull away because they can't just light it up. They, they don't seem to have anybody who's going to be a consistent three-point scorer, and, and Kyle O'Quinn can't be that guy. Michael, Mike, let me welcome you to Mr. Sunshine, my co-host over there. <laughs> hey, I, first off, I, I, I don't doubt Kyle O'Quinn. You don't think he's going to hit eight threes tonight? No, <laughs> uh, no but uh, you're right. I mean, that is the concern with this team. I'm, I, they lost J.J. Redick, and you know he's one of the ten best three-point shooters of all time, and there's no replacing that. Um, I think you're going to have to see, you know, Tobias Harris is the guy that has to be like the the ball finds him with four feet of space and he's got to put it up and he's got to make it. And I thought there were a few times, especially in the first half where, you know, he had a sort of open shot, could have taken the three, uh, but decided to pump fake it and drive and it didn't end up turning into anything because, you know, the the paint is so crowded that he can't make a play in there. So I think, you know, you just got to see guys like him, and you got to see guys like Josh Richardson and even Horford. They've got to be more willing to shoot the ball. Um, and you know, there, there's you know an argument to be made that those guys are going to struggle a little bit, but they really don't have a choice. I mean, Simmons and Embiid aren't going to be the three-point catalyst. You got to have your other three starters launching away from deep uh, and giving those guys space. And if they're not, then they're in big trouble. The thing that impressed me about T- Tobias Harris was the number of boards he got. 
but it seems like he like you said that he was not using the space that he had and he has the ability to shoot and he was falling into a, a more traditional power forward role it seemed like yeah i would agree with that and and like I said, that's that's an issue. Um, he last year in LA before he came to the Sixers, he was shooting about forty percent from three, uh, and I think you know after he joined the Sixers, he was around thirty percent, and that that just can't happen. Like I said, he's got to be the guy who's stretching the floor, um, who when the ball finds him and he and Simmons has dragged a guy four feet off of him and he kicks it to Tobias Harris, Tobias has to put it up. He's got to get a lot of attempts and he's got to shoot around forty percent. That's that's a huge key for them this season. You mentioned the defense. They held the, the Celtics at 36.7% uh, shooting. That would have been their worst shooting performance of all last season. I was impressed with Josh Richardson on Kemba Walker. Uh, what kind of role can he play in terms of switching him out for J.J. Redick last year, who was a liability? Now you've got somebody who seems like he can be a lockdown. Oh, absolutely. I mean, Josh Richardson is a guy who you ask him, at least, coming from his mouth, he thinks he should be an all-defense level player. Um, I think he's sort of on the outside looking in there, but he's still very, very good. Um, you know, I think the biggest thing that, that stood out to me about his performance was just his ability to stay in front of Kemba Walker and fight around screens. Like last year, a lot of times it was Jimmy Butler guarding uh, Kemba Walker, uh, you know, that night that he dropped 60 on the Sixers. And Jimmy's just bigger. You know, he's 6'7", and big men are going to be able to screen him out of the way and take him out of a play. And then when he gets back into it, Kemba's headed towards the rim whereas Josh Richardson can sort of avoid those screens, not get clipped by those, and stay in front of them. Um, so I think, I think just having him to defend quick point guards is going to be a huge addition. You know, swapping, swapping out J.J. Redick, one of the worst defenders in the NBA, for Josh Richardson, certainly one of the better defenders, is going to be huge. So I watched the game, and I, I felt like Ben Simmons had a good game. 24 points, 8 rebounds, 9 assists, led the way. I come in here to the studio, and I got guys coming up to me going, he didn't shoot a three-pointer. It wasn't or, me, just so we're clear. Or he put his shoulder down and barreled through him. Can you explain to me why I have to continue to hear this stuff, Mike? I thought he had a good first game. I mean, look, he's not he going to be your, your lights-out three-point shooter. He's never going to be that. I'd like him to shoot just to keep people honest. But I thought he had a good game. I totally agree. I thought Ben was great. Um, you, you're talking to somebody. I mean, I, I am the eternal skeptic of Ben Simmons' jump shot. Um, <laughs> I did not buy it for a second when all these Instagram videos were coming out. Um, you mean I you didn't live your summer those... on the next video dropping of Ben shooting against <laughs> nobody in the summer in shorts and a tank? <laughs> right, <it> exactly. <laughs> and and you, know what's, you know what's interesting about that is, a lot of people just saw the highlights. They post these clips of these pickup games, and they thought, oh, wow, he looks great um, because he was playing against some NBA players there. Well, they actually post the full videos, about 20 minutes long of those, those scrimmages, those pickup games, and they were a joke. They were an absolute joke. I went and watched them. Tristan Thompson was, was pulling up from three. It, it, was like, it was like a YMCA game. And so <laughs> to put stock in that and to say, to say that that was going to mean that Simmons is like, an average three-point shooter now, um, that was never going to be the case. I do think you'll see some improvement. I, I, I shouldn't be like Mr. Negative all the time. I Why do not, think Jeff? He's going to be better. No, no. I think, I, think, I think maybe like he'll shoot 28% from three or something like that. He'll, he'll make a three once every few games, which is way better than what he was the past two years, but it's not the guy that, that everybody has sort of billed him as after these highlight videos come out. 
All right. So, so the the last semi negative is where was where was Trey Burke? Uh, I mean, I saw him on the bench. Burke he, and Cork must had to come in the game. Jeff. Well, I, I don't I don't understand the the rotation and why Furkin was was in as much as he was in, and why he was in before somebody like Trey Burke when he Trey wouldn't have a, a height matchup problem with Kemba Walker. So what was the thought process that if you had a chance to talk to Burt Brown or what you're thinking as to why Furkan is the guy that's coming in ahead of people like Trey? Well, it's actually not. It's not about Furkan Korkmaz. It's about Josh Richardson. Um, they were playing him at point guard. They're playing Richardson at point guard whenever Simmons wasn't on the floor, which is, uh, which is would have been Trey Burke's role. And uh, what Brett Brown said after the game was that he did that for defensive purposes. He wanted to have, and I know you, you know, you, you make a fair point that Trey Burke isn't, you know, uh, a height mismatch for Kemba, but Josh Richardson's just a better, much better defender. And uh, Brett Brown wanted to have, you know, that level of, of defender on Kemba at all times. He said he's not married to the idea of having Richardson play backup point guard all the time. But for this particular matchup, that's what he wanted. All right. Well, so here here was, the to me, the feel-good story of the night, other than the fact that this, I think, believe, was our first opening win in six years. Matisse Thibault has very quickly become a fan favorite in Philadelphia. He he plays lockdown defense. He's never beat, and when he does get beat, he immediately somehow gets back on it and still blocks the ball from behind. He, sh- he didn't show much in the way of shooting because I think the one shot he made was because the buzzer was about to go off, and he just had to get it off. But there is something about him that he immediately has become somebody that the Philadelphia fans, at least the ones in the re- arena, just seem to gravitate to. What is it about him? I think it's just he makes so many plays on defense. Like a lot of the stuff that that you know goes unnoticed on defense. Like like the way that like Embiid just hits every rotation. The way Al Horford just is always in the right spot. You know they're great, but you don't notice them all the time. Whereas Thibel is like poking the ball loose left and right and blocking these All Star point guards, and it's like oh my god, you, you can't not see him. He's just all over the place. Like I would compare him to. Um, I, when he was coming out of the draft, I compared him to Robert Covington, but I think he's an, an even better on-ball defender than Covington is. Um, he's able to keep up with those quick point guards like a Kemba Walker even better. Um, and so that that's why I think he's become such a fan favorite is because you just notice him on every play. He, his length is just a factor all the time, and that's so rare. That's so rare in the NBA to have a guy who's just like eye-popping all the time. Is he going to be somebody that's going to be uh, become even a bigger and bigger piece as the season goes on? I think that's possible. Yeah, I mean, I think he'll have a big role to start out with. I mean, what did he play like twenty minutes? You know, the other night. Um, so he'll have a pretty sizable role. I actually think the, the best way I could describe it is I think he's a sixth man. I think that with any given starter, any, when any starter is out. Bible's going to be the guy that comes in, you know, and it could be anybody it could be Embiid is out. They'll play Horford at center and slide Thibel in um, or Simmons is out. They'll play Richardson at point guard and Thibel comes in. So I, yeah, I think he'll have a huge role the whole season. Embiid checked out with 1046 left in the game. He only played 23 minutes, still put up 15 and 13. Is that going to be something we see throughout the season where Brett gets the chance to rest him, keep him healthy towards the end type of load management thing? 
I'm sure that's what they hope. I'm sure that's what they hope. I don't think Joel wants that to be the case. But, that, that was my next question. How does Joel feel about only playing 23 minutes in the season opener? <laughs> yeah, I think for the most part he's okay in this particular case. But I don't think he wants to be the guy that is, um, you know, hey, we're up by we're up by 10 in the fourth quarter. Let's just keep you out the rest of the game. I don't think he wants to be that. And I, I think and, – and you know what? I don't blame him because Embiid has dealt with so much – from the outside, like criticism of him, you know, oh, he's never available, he's always hurt, all this stuff. He wants to prove, and he really wanted to prove it last year, too, that he's not the guy, you know, Mr. Bones made of plastic and whatever. You know, he, he wants to be a real NBA player who plays regular minutes like everybody else. He doesn't want that asterisk on him of being Mr. Injured all the time. Okay, that being said, he's, he's rum- questionable for tomorrow night. Potentially. R- rumor has right. it, and, and you can fill us in here, is is that he, as Jason just blurted out, he's questionable for tomorrow night. What happened? I think he just turned an ankle. I think it happened in the second quarter or something the other night, um, which is unfortunate <laughs> because I just went on that whole spiel about him. But, uh, we set you up, but, sorry. You know, I mean, it happens. It happens. Guys turn their ankles. I mean, Mike Scott turned his ankle, too. He's questionable as well. Um, I'm I'm not too worried about it. I think I, – I would bet that he will play. I don't think he's ever able to resist the chance to uh, get an Andre Drummond's head. Yeah, right. He, he never misses an opportunity. And, and they the big game against the Pistons, that'll be their first of six of the next seven on the road. What do you expect to see this team uh, as road monsters? I mean, they're they're just so long. They want to play bully ball. Can they do that on the road and impose their will on everybody, or is this going to be a team that at home they're one thing and on the road they're, they're something else? What do you think we're going to see? I think I think they'll be better at home. They've always been better at home this whole, you know, the past couple of years. Um, but I think, like, the, one of the things that stood out to me about the Celtics game was just how much they wore them down. And it felt like the whole game, the Celtics were working so hard for every shot, and by the end they just looked so fatigued. I think that's going to happen on the road, too. I mean, teams, they're just going to, like, like home teams maybe come out with a lot of energy, but the Sixers are just able to wear them down. And by the end of the game, they're just they're so gassed from having to work so hard for every shot and having to deal with the Sixers' big bodies on the boards and trying to box them out and getting trapped all the time. I, I love that the Sixers spring the occasional trap in the backcourt, like when they force that eight-second violation. That was great to That's got to be so frustrating for an offense. Um, so I think just with between all of, all those things that they do and just their size, they're going to wear teams down, and that's going to work for them on the road too. In addition to wearing them down because of their size, I think that this depth is – I think that they're much deeper than they were last year in almost every area except for, obviously, three-point shooting. Is is that yeah, also going to create a, a problem? Feat, though. Huh? I don't think that's a great feat, though. Last year's team was, was kind <laughs> of a joke in that sense. <laughs> yeah, but, but, now, but now you have – I mean, you really didn't have anybody behind Joel. Not only do you have Horford who can now step in and do that, you have Kyle Quinn that can do it, and maybe Norvell Pell, although he looked like pretty comfortable not dressed – the other night (laughs) and then and then at point guard you know now you're saying that Richardson's there so you you now have at point guard you have Ben you have Richardson when necessary you have Burke you have Neto it seems like they're a much deeper team and they can put people out there that can constantly put this pressure on defense yeah I would I would agree with that and I do think they are deeper than last year um and and especially I think the biggest area is on the wing um, they have Thibel, they have James Ennis, 
Um, whatever you think of Zaire Smith, I don't think he's ready. But I think in like in a pinch, if you need him to play some defense, like he could do that. Um, I do think you know one of the things I expect to happen this year. I think they're going to make a trade for another guard, um, just because. I don't think Burke and Neto are quite good enough. I think they need a guy a little bit better than, than those two guys. And quite frankly, they should make a win-now trade. I mean, why not? They're in, they're in contention to win a championship. If if one other, you know, dynamic guard off the bench is going to get you there, they should do it. I mean, I, I don't see any reason why not. So I'm I'm sort of expecting that to uh, to happen for them to add another piece. Could, could, that, could that guard be Devin Booker? You want no, it so bad. No, I don't think so. <laughs> uh, they don't have – they Jeff don't has. have the pieces for that. I'm expecting like a a fringe starter or a bench guy. I, one of the names that I brought up is uh, Bryn Forbes on the Spurs. Um, the Spurs have like seven different guards who need playing time, and Forbes is on an expiring deal. I wonder if they'll be willing to trade him for a bunch of draft picks, but um, who knows? We'll, we'll see. We're, that's obviously a ways away, but and we I do, do not have, think it'll be Devin Booker. We do have some good connections to the Spurs, so you know you know they'll definitely mm-hmm, talk. Mm-hmm. I did want to ask you, we do talk on the show a lot about the impact that, that sports has on the community and the players. Saw Tobias Harris out there this week giving out a million dollars at his community draft to nine charities. Just want to give you a chance to talk about that and what you see the players do. We don't, we don't often hear about it, and they don't always do it for headlines, but it's, it's good to see them out there doing these types of things. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Tobias is just such a great guy, and... Um, and everybody that's been around him has, has said that. And the way that he's embraced the city, like, f- from day one. I mean, Tobias has had uh, – everywhere he's been, he's been traded a lot. He has set up, you know, such great things in every community he's been in. And I read a, I read a story, I forget who it was by last year, that he actually goes back into cities that he was traded from where he set up, you know, whether it's just programs, charities, that sort of thing. He goes back and he checks in on them, and I, I think that's just unbelievable um, for for a guy to do that. I, that's that's really really great. Um, and I also, in addition to that, should give a shout out to James Ennis because he was involved in um, I forget exactly what it was, but I think it's called Achievability. It's a it's a charity or a program that uh, I think helps inner city kids. Um, and he he was also um, he was also involved in that recently. And, and you know the the way that not only those guys but the whole city of really the whole team has really embraced the city. I think is a very, very cool thing. Well, we look forward to continuing to follow you throughout the season and reading your coverage. How can people find you on Twitter if they want to check out what you're putting out? On Twitter, I'm at M-O'Connor underscore NBA. Uh, you can also just find you know anything I write on theathletic.com slash Philly or theathletic.com slash Sixers, either one. Um, so, yeah, I'm, I'm not a hard guy to find. Um, definitely, definitely look me up. Well, we encourage people to subscribe. Mike and everybody else over there at The Athletic are worth the read. Mike, thanks so much for the time. Look forward to talking to you again as the season goes on. All right. Thanks, guys. Really appreciate it. Have a great one. Jeff, how do you feel after Mike's breakdown of what you saw the other night? I feel good. I mean, Are you more optimistic? Because you led with the negative. Well, no, you led with the negative. No, I responded to you. Yeah. uh, I, I think this team is, and some people may cringe at this, but I think this city may like this style of basketball. This reminds me a lot of the Pistons. I knew you were going to say that. Uh, I, I just, I th- and, and when he said Thibault off the bench, I thought yeah. microwave Vinnie Johnson. No, but, but Thibault, at least, I mean, it was only one game. I don't see him creating that kind of offense. No, but bench. I see that, him coming and creating energy. Right, but Vinnie Johnson was the microwave because he could just come off the bench and score 12 points like that. Yeah. Uh, 
Thibault comes off the bench and he is instant energy. And it's not like the Sixers are a lethargic team to begin with. They are they are tenacious on D. I, I cannot imagine what it's like to be a player that it they're just constantly arms all over the place. And the the one negative that comes out of it is is what happened the other night that we talked about before the show, which is the number of fouls. It's the defense is so good that the refs are seeing fouls that aren't there. They're just making great plays, and somehow these refs are calling phantom calls. Yeah, I mean, 63, it was brutal. 63 fouls is a bit much. Mike, on the other side of the glass, wants to know who's going to be the scorer off the bench, Jeff. I thought it. Was, I really thought that Burke was going to be one of those guys. Um, doesn't seem as of yet that he's really. Well, it's, it's one again. It's just one game, but it just uh, shake is another person who I could see providing offense off the bench, but he was too busy getting people to get their frosty the, the freeze. Frosty freeze out. Right. Yeah. And, somebody's got to do it. And in fact, it wasn't, you didn't just get the frosty. It was actually the fries. And it it so seems it was, like they're not really sold on giving Zaire Smith time yet. He's not anywhere near the throat. Well, I, I, he like. wasn't dressed either. Yeah. Um, so I, I don't know what that was about, but, they are deep. I mean, from from a standpoint of really good players. Yeah, but I don't think positions. Mike likes you comparing it to last year's depth. Okay, <laughs> that was well. awesome that he called you out. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. All right. Uh, do you want to talk NBA and their, their circus around what's going on with China? Do you want to get to the Phillies? Jeff, you take your pick. You There's pick. so much to do, talk do your, about. Do your wheel of uh, I don't interest. have much to add to the NBA China thing other than they continue to screw it up. Um, now you've got uh, politicians involved calling on things. You've got sports leagues. Uh, we're not really going anywhere right now. But the NBA on TNT pregame did not shy away from it. You had Barkley and O'Neal talking about really? it. Really? Barkley didn't bite his tongue. Uh, you know There's what? There's a shocker. After everything that's happened, yeah. I'm surprised that people weren't told not to talk about it. Because they've hand- it's been handled so poorly at this point that I'm surprised. You know, China State TV did not air the NBA's opening games. It's this is a huge contract but, but here, for the league. It's a huge contract. I'm for not the talking league, about here. the human rights issues. I don't want to belittle the societal issues that are there. But we look at this from a sports business side. Well, of but I, I mean, look as as a as a human being, I look at it from the human rights perspective too. And I know we don't talk politics yeah, on the show. Yeah, but the leagues don't. Well, okay, so that they don't want to talk about it. But the fact is, look, if I were Daryl Morey, I probably wouldn't have done that. You know, but but he he expressed himself in, in a very inoffensive way. I'm going to ask you a very basic question. What? What was different the day after Daryl Morey tweeted than the day before he tweeted? Because everybody accepted what was there to make a buck before that. Right. But after the reaction, it now became unacceptable. And everybody has to like. Uh, well, it became unacceptable have, because China was being bullies. But these, that, I mean, that's really what this is about. They've always been bullies with right. intellectual property. This is not a new thing. These leagues make deals in places where there are questions about it. If you look at wrestling, they're doing stuff in Saudi Arabia. That I don't look at questions. wrestling. I understand you don't, <laughs> but that's but these leagues make decisions about their bottom line, sacrificing their position on right. But you know, rights. but 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 the truth is, is China's making Daryl Morey's point. They are. Ch- China thinks that they can suppress speech in America. They are making Th- his. That's point. That's the baffling part about this, and. and and all of our leaders should be attacking China, not attacking the NBA. I find that, that I find that interesting. That that to me is baffling. I don't care what side of the aisle you are on, but for politicians to attack the NBA for what, Jeff? You know that I've worked around politics for seventeen yeah. years. This is my surprise face that a politician is granted. <laughs> 
But but to attack the league as somehow they're doing something different than almost every other business in the United States is completely wrong. Yes. And I, and I don't understand why the NBA is going to be the one that's taking the brunt well, the, of this. Because the NBA decided to make the business decision to be there. Well, they led. They and, led and with LeBron, their. They who, led with their chin. Yeah, and now they're getting punched in it. And I'm not saying that's right or wrong. I'm just saying that's what it is. Now LeBron's got his own. Yeah, stuff. look, LeBron does a, a lot of amazing things off the court. That was not one of his finer days. No, no. Should we just leave it at that? Yes. Okay. So let's I mean, leave if it we could, we could just keep going a bad crisis public relations if you want to go. To sure. The let's go baseball. Yeah. Let's go talk about yeah, the Astros. Go, go for it. All right, this one bothers me. So you uh, know that I do public relations for a living, yeah. all right? This may be the <laughs> single worst. Well, yeah, maybe not well, but I, I do that. No, this you do that very well. may be one of the yeah. worst crisis public relations situations I have ever seen. So after the Astros won the game against the Yankees, mm-hmm. their assistant general manager decided to stand in the clubhouse in front of a bunch of female reporters, one of whom While celebrating victory. Victory. And cheered that they were so effing glad they got Osuna. Yeah. A guy who Just gave so, up the by home By the way, run. that wasn't Jason's words. That was the assistant general manager. The assistant general manager. Right. Okay. The guy who gave up the home run in the right. eighth that the Yankees <laughs> who, tied who it. Blew the lead. Blew the lead. Yes. He's the guy that he's saying how happy so he is. So glad they, they got them. Yeah. To female reporters, one of whom has been going after the team since they signed him during his 75-day suspension. Who was wearing a ribbon of in support domestic of domestic abuse. Correct. Okay. That's the initial part. Uh-huh. Okay. Something like that happens. Yeah. You come out and say, we were wrong. We're sorry. Uh-huh. That's not what they did. Or, 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 or it's completely acceptable to say, we are going to investigate this and, and we'll look at that. That would have been and fine. And do that quickly, too. Instead, they tried to discredit the reporter and say that she fabricated a story. And paraded a bunch of people out there to, to say, say that. that she right. fabricated. Okay. Yeah. So instead of letting <laughs> it, it gets end there, yeah. they decided to investigate further mm-hmm. and realize that they needed to now fire Tobman, the assistant general manager, because right. he actually did that. Uh-huh. Okay, so instead of talking about the World Series now, we've been talking about this assistant general manager who is an yeah. idiot. Like, you can't do that. So now the general manager goes to a press conference. Jeff now. He gets up there. Mm-hmm. Uh, if I was the PR person. By the way, the if team, you're driving now, it would be a good. I'm just putting a disclaimer. You may want to just pull over to the side of the road because you won't believe what he's going to say. So the reporter who they. Decide to question her character and say she made mm-hmm. things up. They asked if he had apologized to the reporter. He said he hadn't gotten a chance yet. Wait, wait for it. She was in the room, Jeff. She was <laughs> sitting in the room. So then he made himself a victim and said he wouldn't wish anybody wait, to be in his position. Wait, you, you just went past that part. Okay, you want to get to your 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 rant that you're about to have. That's fine. My question is is. Did any reporter in the room say to Lou now, by the way, she's right here. You can apologize right in front of us. I don't believe so. I don't believe that that occurred. That's baffling to me. This whole thing is baffling. Yeah. 
I talk with people that well, I no, work now, with all the time. Now, now finish the part where he turned it into that he's the victim. He's the victim. He because, wouldn't wish this upon anybody because, because because you're in this position and people are coming at you right. and you don't want to have to do this. You mean a position first of responsibility. Of all, you're the person that signed the person who had the domestic abuse situation in the first well, place. Well, look, so I, I don't... He's the general manager of the wait, team, no, and he tried on, yesterday... Are you talking about Osuna or are you talking about Talman? I'm, no, I'm talking about the Osuna. general manager now who was oh, in the talk, press conference okay. who signed... Osuna. Okay, I thought. Who right. tried to say that he was only the head of baseball operations when asked why there hadn't been more discipline. Okay. What does that no, mean? That he didn't take any other action against people who tried to tarnish this reporter's reputation. Right. No problem. So you're just the baseball guy. You signed. He's the general manager. You signed the guy from the domestic abuse. Right. You cannot complain about the blowback you get when you make a decision. Who like was suspended that. for you 75 give games. Up the right to complain about that. That's a decision mm -hmm. you made when you weighed the positives and the negatives. The degree to which this league tolerates domestic abuse and other situations like this oh, until gonna, it blows up in their faces no, is embarrassing. I'm not, I'm not going to blame the whole league for this. Oh, the, the, this, is not, this was not the league's fault. Really? This, this wait, was the wait organization's fault. Wait till fault. next year when the Phillies have to decide what to do with Odubel Herrera. Every team that but makes these decisions has to make these calculations. Fine, the but Astros this year, what did they do with Odubel the Herrera? Astros they suspended him for the season. No, they didn't. Major League Baseball did. So the then, Phillies haven't that's done my anything point. yet. So why are you attacking the league that did the right thing? But the Astros made the decision to sign him. That You're, was their proactive yeah, decision. Yeah, but you just, you, just, you just totally messed up two things. No. Yes, because you just said, you just said that this was the, the league's fault. No, what it's I said is... It's not the league's fault. This league, is the organization's fault. In the league, league did the right thing with Odubel. In Oduble. a league that has a sliding scale for discipline, where different teams will put up with different amounts of things that they will accept for a good player versus a player who cannot play. I don't agree Teams with that you. make these decisions uh, have it, to it, live with the consequences. If you were talking about the NFL, I would agree with you. I, I do not agree with you that Major League Baseball has not handled domestic violence. It's not about Major League Baseball. It's about the teams that make the decisions to but sign But you just players. attacked the, the league. The NFL had the same thing. You, you just attacked this the is, league. This is not a league problem. You just said it was a league problem. No. Did we play back two minutes ago? No. I said, said this is a, is a problem? team. Well, okay, then I meant to say this is a team problem. Okay. If I said it wrong. <laughs> it's a team problem that they have to deal with. Right. If they're going but that's to like sign any them. company. But then you can't sit up there and go, "Oh, I don't wish this on anybody." I agree you with can't you. Can't be that guy. He shouldn't. He he wanted to be a whiny little victim, and he's he's not a whiny little victim. Meanwhile, he's a corporate representative. Your team who's was making a lot of money four, to make the right decisions. Your team is four wins away from winning a World Series. Not anymore. They still well, are they're four still four wins, wins away. away, but they're they're not going to win. And you're not talking about it. You have some of the best pitching matchups in the history of the World Series, and you're not talking about it. And the players aren't able to talk. I do feel bad for the players because the players didn't bring this on, except for Osuna. Nobody else brought this situation on, and now they're stuck dealing with it while Taub because Taubman had to open his mouth. And and by the way, let's call it what it is. Taubman was a bully. Yes, he was trying to bully a woman when he was surrounded by a bunch of men in the locker room. And instead of doing what a normal person would do, which would be to sit there and just celebrate a victory, he decided to use that platform at that moment. To attack a woman. It's embarrassing. It really is. That's the part that I have the biggest problem with right now. Yeah. Besides, I, I don't think that anybody should have signed Osuna. It's embarrassing. Yeah. But I but I really, in this particular instance, I do not blame the league. And, and I think no, the, the league, league will get down to I it. I think Major League Baseball has handled it 
better than most organizations I would think have. that Major Not League perfectly. Baseball ends up taking more discipline. I, I would think Tubman's suspended by the league at the very least, even though he's not employed now. And anybody who was involved with the drafting of that statement, if they oh, knew things weren't I, I true. Th- I think Taubman's next job, if he ever has one in baseball, is it's going to be some scout off in Walla Walla, Washington, <laughs> looking at you know a bunch of single-A players or something. Why don't we hit the break? When we come back, we'll talk more baseball with the new Phillies manager. We'll discuss that a little bit more. Stick with us. Sports lets people live their dreams, overcome obstacles, and achieve goals. But what's your unimaginable? Do you want to be a part of something bigger than yourself? To push your limits? The A Fatty clothing brand believes we're all capable of going far beyond we previously imagined. To overcome your obstacles and achieve your goals. Life gives you the chance to push harder, to dream bigger, and to do whatever it takes to conquer the unimaginable. And to do it with A Fatty on you, the original street leisure clothing brand. This is Dan Baker, public address voice of the Philadelphia Phillies, and you're listening to The Heart of Sports with Jeff Cohen and Jason Springer. Jeff, there may be nothing more fitting than Dan Baker Baker bringing us back from break when we're about to talk about the new manager for the Philadelphia Phillies. Mm -hmm. Uh, People behind the glass pretty excited over there. Your reaction, Joe Girardi is the 55th manager of the Phillies. There'll be a press conference on Monday. Your initial thoughts. I know you wanted the other Dusty who was not under consideration. Or Raul Abanez, who I who thought also doesn't seem one. to have been under consideration. Correct. But of, of, the, of the people that they decided to interview, this was the best outcome that they were going to have. Uh, he's not part of the retread old Baltimore Orioles failed organization. So it was We're nice not rebuilding to, Baltimore people. Correct. And, and I think that Girardi will I think Girardi will be the the kind of coach that that the stars will like. I think Bryce Harper probably I'm not saying had a say in this, but I'm sure that he whispered in some Oh, he had a say here. in it. Um I I think Girardi's the kind of guy who is old school who will appreciate the benefit of analytics without overdoing it, which will be good for somebody like Reese Hoskins and most importantly He's not a guy who is going to throw out people from the bullpen on day one without having them warm up and is not going to go be a train wreck in constantly going through the bullpen until there's nobody left. He will hold people accountable. Correct. He will know how to set a lineup. He will know how to manage a pitching staff. He will give people... Well, he does know how to do that. You don't even have to... You're saying he will in the future. We already know that he can do these things. He will give people defined roles. Mm Mm-hmm. He will do a lot of the things that we have asked for for a long time. The question now becomes, who's with him? Is Who's his pitching coach? Who's his hitting coach? And then what moves are you making as an organization to fill some of these holes that you have that are glaring? Well, so before we came in here, some of the smart people in the station came to us and said, what about Jim Tomey? I think that would be a slam dunk from so many perspectives if he were the hitting coach here. From a personality standpoint, from his knowledge of the game, to having also Charlie go back to his old role and still being able to contribute without the new hitting coach feeling like that somebody's looking over his shoulder. I think I just think that would be a slam dunk. I think Dusty Wathen should stay here unless he gets a unless he gets a manager's position and then hey, it's great for him. He deserves the opportunity at this point. But if he doesn't get it, He's still a good third base coach, and I would keep him here. What do you think about them looking at like a Larry Rothschild as a pitching coach from the Yankees? Had some success up there with those arms. Uh, I'm okay with that. To me, that that the retread 
of the pitching coach, the older pitching coaches. I don't know if that's the answer. I'll ask it differently. What are you looking for? Still get the in same answer. A pitching coach <laughs> and a hitting coach. They're not names. What's the philosophy that you want to see them bring in? A hitting coach, I want somebody. And and, and by by the way, I think this also applies to the pitching coach. See, I you, want you somebody. Think I'd get an answer out of you. Go no, <laughs> I I think you need somebody who is smart enough to realize that he's not the smartest person in the room. And what I mean by that is, if you you bring in these analytics guys sometimes, and they think that everybody's swing should be identical, everybody's pitching motion should be identical. That's not what you need because that's what messed up Reese Hoskins. Okay, everybody has a different swing. It's what at the beginning of the year when Bryce Harper wasn't particularly successful was a problem because they were trying to get him. They were tinkering with his swing. Everybody's swing is different, and I'll give you the the perfect example of this in another sport. A, a guest we had on last year, Jim Fuhrer. Nobody would ever teach their kid to swing a golf club the way that Jim Fuhrer swings a golf club, but it works for him. And what you want is you want people that are going to be able to maximize their players' abilities based on what they see them doing well and what they see them not doing well. And so that's what I hope to see. Whoever it is is somebody that's listening to the players instead of talking at the players. Brian Barber is the new director of amateur scouting out of the Yankees organization. A lot of of guys out of the Yankees organization coming here. You have no opinion. I wonder what no. it means for some of the people that were here in the organization. I will ask you this. Look, you and I have been Mickey Moniac defenders, and we've had the conversation about his age. Juan Soto is lighting it up in the World Series. He's clearly the exception rather than the rule. Right. But who do we have like that in our system? Like as you, It could be Alec Bohm. Is that— I mean, he's a little older because he went to college, but— we're about to find out probably next year, if not in April, we're going to find out by June. Because, I mean, he's older. He's not... Yeah, but he's 23. 19, 20. Okay. But that's not 20. It was Soto okay. turns 21 today. He's been celebrating with how non-alcoholic pe- drinks. How, how, as far well... <laughs> so he tells we'll us. We'll see. And he probably is also singing that drinking... stupid song. Okay, here you go. Yeah. All right, I'm going to let you go here for a second. What? You are unhappy with the Nationals' use of baby shark. I am. I am unhappy anytime anybody imposes an earworm on me. I'm just excited and, and, you know what baby shark and, is. Well, the but the only reason I th- so since we we can somehow mix all this together. So for people that weren't there when when we first discovered, and I think you and I both discovered this song at the same time, was we were at a Reading game. Thankfully, I had shielded my and, two and a half year old and, from and this. And we and we were with Josh Bonifay talking about prospects and and how they're doing, and he's pointing out things that they're improving. And then all of a sudden, Baby Shark comes on, and Joshua's younger children explains this song to us and I could not get this horrible and there's song 6, out of my head. And there's 6,000 kids in the stadium on singing school it. day right. singing Baby So Shark. now the Nationals have apparently adopted this ridiculous song <laughs> and, and and are going to play it and I'm not sure which is worse. I know which one's more offensive which is the Tomahawk Chop but, but for, from that song I don't know which one is worse. You done? I am. Did I let you get it all? Yes. You feel better? So I'm kind of hoping this is gonna be the that first... the Astros take a very early big lead so there are no baby shark chants on national If television. you're a history fan, this is the first time that there's going to be a World Series game played in Washington since 1933. It's it would of... have been cooler if it was in Montreal. It, I wish they were the would Astros. Not, would that not be cool? Okay, so yeah. it's funny. 
It's funny you say that. So this week, uh, this week upcoming on Wednesday, if anybody's interested, I'm going to be sitting down interviewing Bud Selig. Yeah. He'll be in Cherry Hill. Um, Are you going to break news that he's bringing back the Expos? No, but I was wondering, when I ask about the business part of that in terms of expansion, contraction, and organizations Mm -hmm. moving, like I wasn't sure whether I should ask him about something like that or if that's boring. No, I think that's very interesting. I I think that to find out, I know why the Expos left when they did, but the disasters that have followed, including the Marlins, make me wonder why uh, uh, a country can't have a second team. Uh, Really? I mean, Toronto is a successful team. I was at a Montreal uh, a couple years ago. They had a game, a preseason two-set game between the Red Sox and the Blue Jays in the old Olympic Stadium, which is a disaster. I would rather sit in a garbage dump than go there again. And and it we really is we, we could arrange that. We it really is it really is a garbage dump. If but, there's a garbage dump sponsor that wants Jeff to come sit there, <laughs> we're, well, we're your we'll show. <laughs> All right, but let let's let's get away from Baby Shark and, and baseball because we need to wrap up with with the voice of of the Philadelphia Union. We uh, so why don't why don't we do that? Last night was a, a tough way for the season to end for the Philadelphia Union. Two nothing loss in Atlanta. Uh, but we have with us uh, the voice of the union all season, J.P. Della Camera. J.P., thanks so much for joining us and helping us wrap this one up. How you doing? Good. My pleasure, guys. It's, um, it's more fun to wrap up a very good season than a season that's not so good, right? So everybody still wants to talk about this year for good reason. Absolutely. And look, before we get to the loss last night, we, we were all down there. You called the game last Sunday in uh, Chester. The coach called that the team's signature win. It was their first uh, win in the playoffs, their first home win in the playoffs. Your thoughts on what you saw down there before what happened Thursday night with this team and this fan base and what went on? Yeah, Jim was telling me a couple days before that that that's what they were looking for, a signature moment. And to be honest, I think if if Shabilko plays in that game, you know, the game is probably different. And if if the Union had won that game, let's say 2 nothing or 3 nothing. It would have been a big moment, but signature moment was that game on Sunday because they trailed twice by two goals. Those comebacks, the crowd, I mean, that's really the signature moment. I the mean, weather. You could wish for a signature moment. Yeah, the weather. I forgot about that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but it's, it's all of that, right? I mean, they're missing their best goal scorer, and they still scored four goals, right? Um, you know, Andre Blake has saved them so many times. This was not a good day for Andre, and yet, you know, his teammates picked him up, and they got the win. So I, I think, I think probably Union fans, if if we're all being honest, right, would say, hey, if they get a win in the playoffs, it doesn't matter what the score is. If it's an ugly game, it doesn't matter. You know, they'll take it, right? Uh, but this was truly a signature moment because when you think about comebacks, I mean, as, as good as the game was the day before. When um, I'm trying to remember who who was playing, oh Seattle and Dallas, right? That was the everybody said, "Wow, that's a fantastic game." I mean, that's the best game so far of the playoffs. And I thought the next day, I thought, "Boy, if, if our game is only like half as exciting as that one, we're in for a great one." And most of the people that I talked to after our game on Sunday thought that our game, the Sunday game, Philly New York, was even more entertaining than Seattle-Dallas. So that's quite a compliment to the game itself. And I think the fans were magnificent that day, too. I remember earlier in the year when they played Atlanta, when they beat them 3-1, to one, I had said that that was the loudest crowd I had heard 
the best atmosphere in 10 years of, of doing union games. And I think this one blew it away. And, and I they, think this, this crowd really helped them on Sunday. And they, and they did it in, in rain. I mean, people came yeah. out and, and showed up and the stadium was full and people were yeah. loud. And, and even when they got behind, I mean, three, one is a large, and the way they got behind was at the I end know. of the half was so rough that the right. fans didn't give up a, a Pope. And clearly, I mean, we talked, we talked to the coach afterwards and, Nobody to a man gave up hope that they could no. come back and do that. And and again, once again, and he doesn't like to take credit for it. Um, but the moves that the coach made for the and the substitutions that he made, it just seems like all year they've worked out really well. Yeah, he pushes all the right buttons, doesn't he? And I think he said at halftime when we interviewed him. You know, that we'll see El Senior is what he said. You know, and I think we all, and by we, me too, we thought El Senior was coming on at the start of the second half because they needed a spark. They were down three to one. They gave up a goal in the, in the last minute of the first half. And we all thought that made El Senior. And I was telling our people during the commercial break, you know, he never really makes subs at halftime. So this is, you know, this is something. And we were all surprised that. You know, he stuck with those guys coming out. We really thought El Senior was coming out. But he knew, you know, the right time to bring him on. Um, all of the switches, uh, for the most part this year, I'll bet if you, if you took a look at when he has made subs, who has come out, who has come in, you know, you'll find that things have changed. And a lot of that is El Senior, granted, you know, where he's changed the game from an offensive standpoint. But, I mean, even some of the subtle things, like in some games where he'd bring on a, a Warren Creval maybe in the last, five minutes somebody else might think you know it's only five minutes but you know it's a big five minutes you know the game is still on the line when he's when he's making that move and you see you know how he's how he's brought along Brendan Aronson this year you know he's not overworked him um, he's he's given him starts based on merit he's given him a lot of minutes and and Brendan was I guess second in in rookie of the year battle and I, I had him as number one on mine but I think the best is yet to come for somebody like Brendan. And part of that is because of the way I think he was handled by Jim. And also, you know, talking to some of the other players, Bedoya, Madunian, they talk about this kid, how he's so willing to learn. He's like a sponge. And Ali was saying he always asks the right questions. He's just a good kid. They love him. So obviously a step forward for the team this year. What next? What has to change for them in your eyes to take that next step forward next year well i remember you guys probably remember this too i want to say it was 2011 the first year when they made the playoffs i thought wow this is pretty good you know they're on the right track and i think that off season i think they made 14 changes something like that like half the roster was changed and i thought wow that's not that's not a good thing, and, and that year they did not make the playoffs. So I think that this team is very close. They're missing some pieces. I'm, I'm sure they would like to get, based on this year, I would say, um, they would like to get another goal scorer. That's number one. I think they'd like to get an experienced center back as well, maybe to go along with, with Jack Elliott, because Jack seems like a, a surefire starter these days. So another center back, and then... I want to say the number 10 position because it depends on what they're going to do, right? Like, here are the question marks for this year. Uh, you've got Jamiro Montero. That was a loan extended, right? 
they want to purchase his contract, but I have no idea what the club is asking for. So I don't know. Is that a, a doable situation? I'm sure the union want him back, but I don't know what the finances are. So that's, that's one, let's call that a question mark, right? Marco Fabian was on a one-year contract, I believe, with one or two option years, but it's up to the team. You know, are they bringing him back? He's a high-priced player, missed a lot of games with injuries. So that's a, a second question. And if I'm not mistaken, contracts are also up for Harris Madunian. And I believe Alejandro Bedoya was on the last year of a deal, too. So those are important players. Um, it's not my money, but I'm, I'm signing Ali right away. I'm <laughs> but you're more than willing right to spend away. it. <laughs> yeah, it's not, it's not my money. But, I mean, those guys were fantastic all year. Harris Madunian is, what, 34? He didn't miss a minute of any game. And lost in the shuffle of all of this was that he was the most accurate passer in the entire league. Most passes attempted, most passes completed, and even more accurate in the attacking third. And when we talked to other teams, when we interviewed the Red Bulls players, they were all talking about Madunian. Luis Robles said he's a best 11 player, and Robles' quote was, Philadelphia has finally found pieces to go around Madunian because they always thought he was good, but they thought this was the best talent assembled around him this year. So I think that there's probably four question marks, unless I'm wrong on some of these contracts, uh, where decisions would have to be made. And then depending on those decisions, then you know, you know what they need to look for, right? If, if Montero's coming back, you know that he can play in a number of positions. So you would have to figure out which you think is his best. If, if Fabian is, is coming back, then you're not looking for a number 10 because you have him and Aronson. If he's not coming back, you also know that Aronson can play a number of positions. And I think that because of the year that Philadelphia had this year and the reputation and the players loving to play here, the stadium situation, the sellouts, uh, there's going to be a lot more people calling Ernst Tanner. I mean, Ernst Tanner's going to be calling people, but I think agents, players, coaches will be reaching out to Philadelphia as well. And I can't say that that's always happened in the past. So I think that uh, future looks bright. They're going to make some moves for sure. I think Ernst Tanner has shown you know, the quality of the moves that he's made. I'm not sure of any that you would say was a miss on his part. You know, he brought in a lot of players that uh, no one ever heard of, frankly. Who'd ever heard of Kai Wagner before this year or Sergio Santos or even Jamiro Montero? I mean, he was playing in the second division of France. So these were not household names, but Ernst Tanner found those guys and they made great contributions. Kai Wagner, to me, is the best left back this team has had since Jordan Harvey, and that was year one. Here, here's my concern, and it's a good concern, is as the players have gotten better, do they lose some of these players to Europe? That's always the concern the casual soccer fan has, is can you get, atten- can you get attached to the players as they get better? For example, mm-hmm. J- Jack Elliott is the guy that I particularly have in mind. I've heard several people say that, that Jack Elliott played so well this year, and because he's from England, would he go back in, in, in next season to England as opposed to staying in the United States? Yeah. I mean, that's a good question, right? Because uh, he would need the, the permit like some of these other guys need uh, because of citizenship, right? So, yeah, I think it's, it's part of the game, guys. You know, like if, if, um, if we're bringing in, we as a, as a league, you know, we as a team, um, 
if the Philadelphia Union are bringing in players from overseas, it's only natural that the Philadelphia Union would be sending players out as well. I think it's just like part of the game. I think that in the past, MLS didn't seem all that um, either willing or able to sell players. It was bringing them in from other countries, but not really exporting some of our players. And then, you know, we started to see more of it, I would say, you know, in the last couple of years. Uh, you know, Zach Steffen going over to Germany was, was one, and there have been um, so many others. Alfonso Davies, uh, a higher price, too, for him. Uh, so I think it's part of the game, right? So I think if you lose players like a Jack Elliott, uh, like a Mark McKenzie, like an Austin Trusty, because that's who these countries would be looking at, you know, younger players, right? So if you lose those guys, I, I have enough faith and trust in Ernst Tanner and the organization that A, they would get value for whoever was lost and B, they would be able to replace them. So I I look at it as only a a positive, only as a win-win. It'd be sad to lose players if you lost Jack. You know, that that is a big loss. But Ernst would figure out a way or would have to figure out a way to replace that loss. We appreciate the time you're you're giving us. We did want to ask you before we let you go about the U.S. Women's National Team. Jeff, go ahead. I understand that the U.S. Women's National Team has gotten a new coach to replace uh, Jill Ellis. So what do you think? Well, if we're talking about Vladko, did they actually make that announcement yet? I mean, everybody says he's in, but I've not been online today to, to see if they've made, like, an actual announcement, but it's... No, the, uh, well, well, the New York Times has, uh, and that's who I look at. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I think it's him. I, well, first of all, Sports Illustrated broke it first. Yeah. And I think it was Grant Wall. And, and Grant Wall, I, I trust 100% when he breaks something. You know, when he reports something, it's, it's fact. It's not, you know, it's not really rumor. So uh, that's the guy that I thought was going to get it all along when I saw the list of possibilities. Uh, I don't know him, to be honest, so I can't say that I have any personal experience with him. I do know that uh, he's a winner. I know that um, coming from, first of all, with Kansas City, right, his first team, and, and then to Seattle. I think he's very well regarded. And I've, I've heard from other women players his name come up, you know, as, as whenever, whenever you would ask, you know, who do you want to see as the next coach, you know, somebody would say, well, it doesn't matter to me, or somebody would say, uh, I'd rather it be a man or I'd rather it be this or I'd rather it be an American. They all had different opinions, right? But when you mentioned Vladko, those that knew him, you got a very good response from them. I think it's a high-pressure job. And what does he find out? Was it yesterday or the day before? He finds out, like we all did, that Alex Morgan is, is pregnant. So his, his star striker may not be around until you know maybe the Olympics, maybe not. Like, who knows? And, and he's got to deal with a roster that's that's aging a bit too. There were 12 players over the age of 30 at the last World Cup, so it's a high-pressure job. But there's a lot of talent, and it's a job that a lot of people wanted. Some didn't want it, but I think I think Vladko did. And you know, we'll see what happens. I I, I just think that um, when we see other rosters, we'll, we'll see. He's not going to have much time, right, for the for the Sweden game. I, I don't know when they're going to call in players, but they won't be together very long, so we can't judge him on that. Next year, during qualifying, will be his first test, and then we'll see how he looks 
and how the team looks. Well, we will definitely have you on again as we go further with it. Uh, we want to thank you for everything with the union this year. We loved listening to you with your calls during the game, and we enjoyed getting to know you a little bit and have you on the show a lot. Uh, thanks so much for all the time, and we hope you enjoy sure, the, uh, the offseason a little anytime. bit. Anytime. It, right, well, it was a fun year. It was probably the most fun year that I've had, um, and this is the 10th year. Yeah. Well, Jeff will take credit for making it that fun. Don't worry. So we're what's that? Jeff will Jeff will take credit for making it that oh, no, fun no, for no. you. No, so. I'll, give, I'll give Tommy credit. There you go. All right, we'll we'll make sure to share <laughs> with Tommy. To make, he helps to make it fun too. JP, thanks so much. You have a great one. Okay. Okay. All right, guys. See <laughs> Bye-bye. you. See Jeff, I tried to get you credit for having this great year. Yeah, I'm there for you. Hey, do you want to do my weekly? Turn that off. What are you doing? I was actually going to set little you baby up for shark, little baby shark. Jeff, guess what? What? I was wrong. For what? Well, last week. I what picked, this time? I picked the Eagles last oh, week. Okay. I had no good reason why. Mark the tape. But I was wrong. That's three straight weeks. So we, not, we are going to have a Jason was wrong segment each week now. It's not really hard. I know, but. <laughs> Just ask my parents and my wife. You know, they could give you lots the, of the examples. The thing is, we have it. so much to talk about. We didn't get the Eagles today, but there is something that we do need to talk about before the show ends, what? which it is it is a huge weekend in college football. There are five really good games. All these things top to talk about in the world, you're going to bring up Rutgers. You're and, really going to do this and, with a minute and left. There, there are five solid games, and then, but most important, and it's going to break records for lack of viewership is Rutgers is hosting, I believe. Hosting Liberty. Liberty. They are a minus seven and a half point underdog at home. Okay. Look, here's the thing, okay? Should, should I put money on it? On Liberty, yes. You really <laughs> think so? Yes. You should. Liberty is favored by a touchdown? Yes. And you and think I that think Rutgers that... is going to lose by more than a touchdown at home to Liberty? Yes. Look, I've been through some bad Rutgers teams. Wow. My freshman year, they were 0-11, ranked the worst team by Sports Illustrated. This team is bad. No free hot dogs are going to get people to a game. To is it free hot dogs game. this week? Well, they used to give away hot dogs to oh. students to go to the game. No, but are they doing it now? I don't know. They're going to need to give something. So that's really the last thought on the show for this week, how bad <laughs> Rutgers is. That's where you're going to leave it. You're going to leave me hanging on that. Nothing better. Someday we're going to look back on this moment, and you're going to sit there, and you're going to relish the fact that Rutgers is now will be in the college football playoff. Thanks so much for joining us this week. Make sure to join us next Friday night to help you start your weekend in style. Have a great one, and we'll talk to you next week. Bye-bye.